Habakkuk chapter 3, Habakkuk's Prayer. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendour was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head, when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Good afternoon, everyone. Promising start, all going wrong already. Um, I'm using technology, not paper, so I apologise. It will go horribly wrong. I have 15% battery life. (laughs) It may be a short sermon. I'll have to be very fast. Um, A big apology to James and to Ignite, who are meant to take notes, I think. There are 16 slides. So if you write them all down fully, you will be very busy. Right, let's crack on. Some of the slides are very short, like this one, which is just the heading. Um, if you look in Habakkuk 3, you see at the end, I will be joyful in God my Saviour. That's where we hope to end up by the end of the afternoon. Okay, next slide. How about if someone summed you up in a word or a phrase? I see you, I see... What would that be? Um, 
just to give you one or two thoughts to get you going. America, if you, if you look at Donald Trump, some people would say, I see Donald Trump, I see chaos. Um, I see Rishi Sunak, I see helicopters flying with bags of gold. You know, that sort of thing. How would they sum you up? Well, I see Chris Chubb. What do I actually see? <laughs> what, would you, what would you like to be on your epitaph? You know, this was Sam. He was... Yeah. <laughs> All right, don't answer that one. Glorious, yes. I think the answer is in the next slide. The, cat- the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is the old-fashioned version of the catechism we do sometimes on a Sunday, says that man, that's man and, man and woman, people's chief end, what they are for, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And if you wanted to know what you should be, if you are as God made you and as, as he will perfect you, When the Lord sees you, or when you are seen at the end, I see you, I see joy in the Lord. That is actually what we are made for. That is what one day will sum us up. When we look at a Christian in the new creation, we will see someone who glorifies God and enjoys him. And that's what we're called to in the here and now. We aren't called simply to turn up on a Sunday and then live dutiful lives during the week sort of doing our best but if we're honest sometimes feeling like it's all a bit of a drudge the lord calls us for more he calls us to joy in him Um, and habakkuk who we'll see briefly at the beginning is a bit of a moaning mini spends his time complaining by the end of this book is in that place so hopefully that's we're, we're going to look at this afternoon Okay, Um, a quick overview of Habakkuk, just to give you the context. Um, By the way, there's a sermon series in Habakkuk coming, I think. When is it, Sam? Uh, July. July. So so if this this whets your appetite for July, that would be great. If it's all hopeless, then Sam and Tim will correct us in July. Um, Habakkuk 1 and 2 I've already said Habakkuk is a moaning mini Um, I won't go through the slides but Habakkuk has two complaints and they're listed there in headings in the NIV his first complaint is that he lives in a nation who have turned to evil Judah have basically turned away from God and Habakkuk as a faithful prophet is looking on saying what? why are you allowing this Lord? Why do you tolerate evil? The Lord then answers and says, you know what, I'll sort it out. I will send Babylon. They'll sort out my people. They'll give them what they deserve. To which Habakkuk says, they're worse. Do you know how bad the Babylonians are? Are you going to tolerate them? Are you going to use them? Habakkuk's basic complaint and it's relevant today evil thrives and you the God who cannot look on evil the God of perfection who made things well and does all things well tolerate it and allow it to flourish why won't you do something and the payoff for us today 
not necessarily evil directly aimed at us, but a world which is fallen and frustrating and disappointing in many different ways. The sort of fallout of evil is around us all the time. And it's very easy to be in that place of looking on, knowing that our God is sovereign, knowing that our God is all-powerful, knowing that our God one day will sort everything out, but feeling in the here and now, Lord God, why are you not doing something? Have you ever had that thought? If I were God, I would do something about this situation. If I had his power and his wisdom, why doesn't he do something? There are many different ways in which that can work out. For God's people. There are many different ways in which we feel the pain of this world, wish it were different, and ask the question, God, why aren't you doing something about it? Okay, chapter 2. This is God's reply. We'll look at this very briefly. And then chapter 3 is what we're really looking at today. God's reply is basically this. I will do something about it. Look at the different verses there that says, Woe to him. Woe to the enemy. Verse 6. Verse 9. Verse 12. Find verse 15. Turn over. Verse 19. Woe to all this evil. I note it. I will punish it. It will not last forever. There will be an end of it. There will be judgment on it. I've got it covered, God says. Verses 13 and 14. Look, Habakkuk, look at that nation, Babylon, who you think is so vile, but seems to be getting on well. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labour is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing. God actually does have it covered. The nations that stand against him, that are trying to build empires of evil and wickedness. It is all for nothing. It is all futile. That is the truth, the Lord says. And those parts of the world that seem to have no sign of godliness... No honouring of God, no following of God. Well, verse 14 answers that. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As the great oceans are spread all over this globe, God's name will be honoured. I've got it, God says to Habakkuk. You may feel like, I don't know what's going on, I wish you'd do something. But God says, I really do have this. It's in my hands. It's in my control. Evil and injustice will end. So anyone here this afternoon, or next week, or next month, or next year, feeling as if people are against you and life isn't fair, and knowing that you've been wronged, the Lord says, I do have it in my hands. It will pass. I will bring judgment. I will bring resolution. I will make things right. Verses 15 to 
But that doesn't make it easy, does it, here and now? Because along with saying, I will come, I will sort it out, I will end evil and injustice, he also says, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, you will have to wait, Habakkuk. I am going to give you a revelation about how things will be, but you will have to wait for it to happen. And you might look at that enemy, and you might see that that enemy is puffed up and looks all powerful, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. You Habakkuk, and you Christian today, will have to trust me and live by faith when it doesn't feel as though I'm doing anything, and when it doesn't feel like life is fair, and when God doesn't seem to be sorting it out. That's our calling. That's Habakkuk's calling. Wait for God. Trust God. Honour God. Okay. Fine. We know that, don't we? I suspect if I'd asked you at the start, what, what, what are you called to do as a Christian? You could have come up with, what was it again? Trust God. Yeah. Honour God. Wait for God to act. Pray for God. Be patient. Be faithful. Live by faith, not by sight. We have that in one of our songs today, didn't we? We live by faith and not by sight. Fine. But how do you do it when life is really tough and you've been waiting an awful long time and you're really not sure what's going to happen? So this is chapter three now. And this is the main points of the sermon. This is a prayer. This is a prayer of a faithful prophet who's turned from complaining to faith in God. And who by the end will be able to say, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk is in a great place by the end of this book. And this is his prayer, a prayer of a man of faith. And if we knew the tune Shiggy on off and had the stringed instruments, we could sing it, couldn't we? <laughs> Maybe for next week. Um. Verse 2, he prays. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Doesn't say what deeds, but he could have plenty in mind. And we'll come on to some of those in a bit. He stands in awe of the things that God has done. He stands in awe of the fame of the things he's heard about God. And then he prays, repeat them in our day. Those things you did to Egypt, to Assyria. Those things you did in the days of Noah. Those things you did for Abraham and Jacob. Do stuff like that here and now for us. That word repeat is used in the psalm several times. It means revive. It means make alive. It's the same word. The idea being, he's saying to God, you did wonderful things. They came alive and they shook the earth. They seem to have faded. They seem to have died away. And his prayer is, Lord... Don't let them be forgotten. Repeat them. Bring them alive. Make them happen here and now. 
Habakkuk is not ashamed to pray stuff. He doesn't giving up, give up praying for the Lord to do things just because God seems to have gone quiet. And it's okay, actually. It's okay to keep on praying when nothing seems to be happening. You don't have to jump immediately to thinking, well, maybe God is just saying no, and I should leave it, and I should just tolerate it, and I should grit my teeth. No, keep on praying. We should pray like this. You are the living God. You have done great things. Please come and do those things again in the here and now. Please make things happen. That's the sort of God you are. You've brought salvation. You've brought restoration before. Bring it again. We could look at this country and think of the state of the church, for example which in the big picture is rather feeble and rather small, notwithstanding faithful congregations like Grace Church. But we can pray for the Lord to bring change and revival and hope and salvation and save people and build churches. Of course we can. He's done it before. We don't give up. We don't think... Yeah, but that was a long time ago. Maybe he's forgotten. Maybe I should just be patient and assume nothing would happen. I do that a lot. I assume God won't do anything because he doesn't seem to be doing anything. And I stop praying for stuff. That's a bad thing. That's not faith. Faith says, Lord, you have done great things. I've heard about them before. I'd love you to do them again. And I will ask you to do them. And then I will wait and see what you will do. But I will go on praying. Okay, point one. Next one. We think about and we remember what God has done. Um, These are the long slides which we're not going through. This is basically various texts. Um, If you look through chapter three, it will be a bit confusing. What's sort of going on here is a mixture of stuff which seems to refer to things that happened in the past that God did with perhaps some idea of revelation about what God will do, maybe in the end, and with this sort of picture, which takes what looks quite normal, but says, what's God doing here? So to pick one, verse 11, for example. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. It doesn't mean that actually God came visibly with arrows and a spear. God is immaterial. But it does mean that God acted in history, and that if you sort of thought about what was going on, you'd have this vision of the God in action, if that makes sense. Okay, but to go back to the idea of this links to history, I've just picked a few verses there. Verse 5, plague went before him. That leads you to think, things like Exodus, there's just a couple there. The hailstorm, the angel of death, there were ten plagues, could be any of them, all of them. But just think for a moment, imagine yourself in Egypt. Imagine yourself there as an Egyptian in one of the houses. 
And you'd heard some weird stuff was going on, and you had a bit of problems with the water turning red, and all those frogs were really annoying and stuff. But you go to bed one day, and you wake up in the middle of the night, because your, your son says, I'm, I'm feeling ill. And the next moment he's dead. And you start wailing because... But then you hear wailing from next door and down the street and you go and look out and there's wailing all around in the whole town. And then if they had newspapers or the internet in the day, you know, news flash in the morning. There's someone dead in every house. That, was rea- that is the reality of what happened. Imagine in Worcester Park tomorrow... Your neighbour knocks on your door, says, my son is dead. You go down the street, two doors down. What's going on? There's an ambulance here. Well, they died in the night. And there's another one down the road, and they're around the corner as well. That's what happened in the plagues. We lose it sometimes. That's the reality of what happens when God comes to judge a nation. is absolutely stricken. Moving on. So the plagues, we know all about them. What's the next slide? The sun and moon stood still, verse 11. This probably refers to Joshua defeating the Amorites. Read the bit in blue there. The Lord threw this massive army of five kings against Israel into confusion. They didn't know what to do and then Israel chased them and cut them down. But you know what? The Lord started hurling hailstones down. And more died from the hail than were killed by the sword. And that army was wiped out. That is what God did for Israel. That is the sort of God he is. And that's what he will do for his people if they are in distress, if they need rescuing. Or just the next one. This is two kings. This is when the Assyrians came. And Hezekiah prayed. The Assyrians were laughing and said, you are feeble. Go and pray to your God. Well, he did. And there was a massive army camped outside Jerusalem. Only it didn't last long because in the night, the Lord sent an angel and slaughtered the army. And in the morning, there were just dead bodies. You know, a bit like today, you know, Russia is still trying to crush Ukraine after two years. It's as though in the morning one day, you woke up and found that all the Russians had been killed somehow. You know, if the Lord decided to step in, like he did here with Assyria for Israel. That is what God has done for his people. And, of course, there's more for us, isn't there? Let's just move on. Sorry, we'll move on to the next bit. The other bit in this, so the historical events, but then the way it's pictured, if you just look at those verses, verse 6, verse 9, verse 12, you see the collapse of creation basically pictured. The mountains saw you and writhed. The ancient mountains crumbled. The age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. This is what creation, how it responded to God when he strode out for his people. And he strode out, didn't he? There in verse 12. In wrath you strode through the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. 
It's like he took the nation up, he put it in a barrel and he, he shook it about until all the dross was shaken off and he burnt it. He threshed the nations. He's active and vengeful for his people. He's done it in history. And he has crushing power. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. That's what God has done for his people. And it sounds violent. And it sounds a bit crude. It's meant to be. It's the violence God enacts when his people are in trouble and they need to be saved from enemies. He's that sort of God. He does that sort of thing for his people. Okay, moving on. We've got more though, haven't we? Because the real enemies are not the Assyrians. And they're not the Babylonians, and they're not even the unfaithful Judahites who turn away to idolatry. The real enemies are sin and death and the devil and our own corruption. Those are the real enemies of God's people. Well, what's he done to them? What has he done for what's he done against sin? They're in Colossians two. Do you know how sin works, essentially? It gives a list of all the things that you've done wrong. And it tempts you, and it causes you again and again to do those things, and then it turns around and laughs at you and says, ha, you're guilty, aren't you? The power of sin is the guilt, and it's the power of the law. Well, when Jesus went to the cross, that was nailed to the cross with him. That was disarmed, destroyed, made powerless. We are not slaves to sin anymore. Sin has been defeated once and for all at the cross. It's been nailed to the cross with Jesus. The powers and authorities, all those things which gathered around and laughed and said, ha, to God looking at his people, they were made a spectacle when Jesus died. Because he took away their power. What is their power? It's to accuse. It's to say, you've done wrong. You've broken God's law. Well, Jesus took that punishment, didn't he? He took that accusation, all of it, all the things we'd ever done wrong. And they're powerless. Satan fell like lightning from heaven. That's what Jesus said when he came. He can't wander around now in God's presence and accuse God's people. And what about death? The next slide. The ultimate in this life, the ultimate enemy. The one we all have to face one day. Some of us earlier than others. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. Death was swallowed up, wasn't it? So just think about that for a moment. Think about that this week. Think about that when you think, I'm not living as I should. The power of sin was cancelled, wiped away at the cross. Maybe you get older, you start wondering about, how long have I got? What will it be like, what will it be like to die? What would it feel like? I have thoughts like that sometimes. The power of death is reversed. Jesus went through death. We don't know how, 
we may we may feel a bit scared about it but you know what it will be the best thing it will be going to be with jesus it is not the grave that is not our destination is it if we're believers here today death was reversed sin was cancelled satan is powerless he may try to accuse us. He may, you, you may try and feel guilty. But if you remember the power of the cross, he has no power against you. Jesus' enemies were crushed. Like that crushing of the leader of the land of wickedness, like that taking a spear and piercing his head, Jesus crushed our enemies for us. We couldn't do it, but he did it, didn't he? And who are we now if we belong to Jesus We are sons of God, we are daughters of God, we are priests and we are kings, now and forever. So all this stuff in Habakkuk 3 about the crushing of our enemies and what God has done, we have more, we have better, we have lasting. (coughs) It's wonderful. And what do we do with it? How does that help us? Next slide. How did it help Habakkuk? Verse 16. He heard about these things. He remembered again all that God had done. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. He was awestruck by God and everything that God had done. He was awestruck when he thought about those great acts of salvation and destruction and vengeance and power. He was awestruck when we thought, he thought about, this is what God is like. The God who I pray to, the God who I speak with, this is what he's like. And he was humbled before him. Yeah? But then he was ready to wait. Because he knew... you. How can you complain about a God who is like this? How can you say to God, who does things like this, you know what, why don't you pull your finger out and go a bit quicker? How can you do that? You can't do that if you understand what he is like and you know what he has done and you have a sense of what he has promised to do in the future. You really can't. You wait, don't you? You wait patiently. And you don't wait grimly, I said at the beginning. You wait with joy. Let's read verse 17. This sounds sort of poetic, doesn't it? Sort of nice in a way, in a strange way. (coughs) Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep and no cattle, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. What he's basically saying is, though the economy is completely destroyed, and I have nothing, and I'm utterly penniless, and this would be starvation and famine and destruction of the nation, even if it gets as bad as it possibly could, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. He finds joy, even at the prospect of life getting worse and worse and worse. Even at the prospect of the Babylonians coming and destroying everything. 
and him not knowing when it's going to be sorted out and just having to wait and trust yet i will rejoice in the lord i will be joyful in god my savior that is what we get if we really see who god is and what he has done habakkuk says this is the last slide i think if i have nothing in this world if the lord takes everything away i will rejoice in god my savior if i have him i have enough because he is better than everything in a holiday club great you know sell your feet sell everything you have to buy that field because you want that treasure well if you have that treasure you have everything your life can go to rack and ruin can be a complete mess but if you have jesus you have enough because you've got the best thing and you'll never lose it and it's wonderful and it will keep you through cancer depression homelessness joblessness through the grimness of doing jobs which feel dull through the frustration of stuff going wrong in your family through looking out of the world and wondering how long it will be before london floods because of melting ice through living in ukraine wondering if you will survive as a nation through living in north korea through going home this evening and feeling like i wish i didn't have to get up tomorrow or through going and teaching people in youth work and thinking did that do any good it seems to be i'm not sure it's going in here whatever the frustration is whatever or whether it's a real big bad thing or whether it's just the grind of life if you've got jesus you have enough because you have everything and so my application for all of us this week we have jesus don't we if we believe if he has made us new we have all those great things sin cancelled death cancelled hope that's secure a life when we get to the new creation this life will feel like nothing and it's just well it's a vapor we have everything what will we do this week to remind ourselves of what we've got to remind each other as we're speaking after this service of what we have that's what we need a vision of the lord is what brings joy and what keeps us going let me say read a couple of verses and i'll pray the sovereign lord is my strength he makes my feet like the feet of a deer he enables me to tread on the heights father god we thank you that that is true for the believer please help us to know that i pray in jesus name amen